Baruch Atah Adonai, Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Asher Kiddushanu BeMetzvotah VeTibanu, LaAsok BeDivrei Torah, VeHarevna Adonai, Eloheinu Et Divrei Torateka, BeFinu Ufi Amka Beit Yisrael, VeNiye Anachnu VeTzeEtzeinu VeTzeEtzei Amka Beit Yisrael, Kulanu Yoder Shemeka VeNonde Torateka Lishma, Baruch Atah Adonai. Like to welcome everyone to the Baruch Hashem. Like to welcome everyone to the Rumination study for Parsha Tatsriya Metzora. And my phone battery already went low. That's how we start this week. Boom. Okay, so without further ado, our double Parsha Tatsriya Metzora. Shlomo, take it away. Good evening, everyone. And this week's Parsha, as already said, is Tazora Metzora. Um, and we begin with Rumination 28. He is the leper Messiah. He identifies and cares for those afflicted with death. Now, what does this mean for those of us who follow the master? What does it entail? What are the connections? This will be some of the things we'll explore. First off, there's profound misunderstanding in many circles concerning the issues of clean and unclean. In Hebrew, that would be Tahor and Tamei. And out of that misunderstanding comes many false theologies. The fact that Yeshua put on flesh and became subject to death is seen not only in his atoning work, but also in his life, both then and now. Leprosy is seen as the ultimate expression of the frailty of humanity, stopping just short of death. It is the walking death, the nearly worst in clean versus unclean, with only death itself being more defiling. And yet, Yeshua identifies with the leper. He touches him. He heals him. This is the mark of Messiah, who bravely goes to those afflicted with death and cares for them and heals for them. I'll open it up for a little discussion there. All right. Yeah, the first thing I think of is he who knew no sin became sin, which we know sin is ultimately defiling. It is the epitome of impurity. One who is in a state of sin would definitely be considered to make. And we know from this week's parasha, the double parasha, that when a person contracts za'arat, commonly translated as leprosy, that this person has to go into isolation. And so there's this, uh, this understanding of being like outside the camp, uh, not being accepted, uh, and you're in this state of ritual defilement which means you're not allowed to enter into the temple. 
uh, and you're definitely not in community, so to speak. And so I think that's very interesting with where we are today in exile, that we're in a state of impurity. We don't have a temple. Uh, and a lot of us are in isolation because whether or not your synagogue is open currently or whether or not you're able to engage with the full community, because a lot of people are doing limited capacity events and occurrences. And um, I think this year was probably the first year that people may have had um, more than just themselves at their Pesach Seder. And, you know, we have Lagba Omer coming up, uh, the 33rd day of the Omer, which is generally a time where you have a big gathering around a bonfire. You know, so what does that look like in the current state of events today? And then not to mention this little known Yom Tov, known as Shavuot, you know, where you stay up all night and have a sleepover and study Torah. So it's just kind of like, okay, what's going to be going on with that? So just uh, one of the things, because you mentioned Hebrews, that in chapter 13, it brings down that we go outside the camp to the Mashiach. You know, and that was actually brought up in commentary this week on the parasha that the Kohen Gadol actually has to go meet the Metzora, the person who has Zaharat. But yet the person with Zaharat has to leave their dwelling. So it's just kind of like the Kohen leaves and the Metzora leaves, you know. So if we're going outside the camp, obviously Yeshua is outside the camp. He went outside the camp. And that's the meaning of sitting at the gates of Rome, because the gates of Rome are outside of the temple precincts. So we know that the Shekinah is with us while we're in exile. Tractate Megillah brings that down. And so this whole idea of touching us and healing us, we know through the exile, our wounds, proverbially speaking, quotation marks, are healed because exile atones for all sins. Talmud literally tells us this. So this idea of being at the same place that the Mashiach is outside the camp, the place where the Shekinah is out with us in exile, that is the level of touch and healing that's actually taking place. Even though exile is painful, uh, it's very isolating, you know, because you got to think about the different communities that we have uh, and the fragmentation, if you will, of, you know, this community is different from that community. And sometimes there's not loving embracing, you know, um, but other times there are, you know, like I think of Strictly Torah, like how diverse we are and we all come together and we unify. And I'm just kind of like, it literally makes me cry because I'm just like, why can't we do this universally, <laughs> you know? Yeah, and, I hear you. And one more thing, I was just reading about the exile from Rabbi Trugman Shlita, that the exile from Mitzrayim or the exile in Mitzrayim in Egypt, that was not a consequential event. You know, what we didn't go into Mitzrayim because we did something wrong. Like for Babylon and for Persia, for Greece, we, we messed up. And that's why we went into those. So they, it, it said in the commentary that it was a prerequisite 
for making us a nation being worthy of the Torah. And it was a great unifier. So you think about the level that we achieved for us to sing the song at the sea, for us to encamp as one man with one heart before the mountain of God when we got to Mount Sinai, and also for us to all together say we will do and we will hear. Like these huge spikes of occurrences for us came via us all being exiled in a horrible place known as Mitzrayim. And you think about how long this exile has happened, you know, like we're currently in the exile of Edom and it's just kind of like, it's long, it's arduous, it's dark, you know, it's painful. There's been so many horrible events. We actually just commemorated uh, or memorialized uh, some of those events this past week for the Memorial Day. And then we had Yom HaShoah last week you know, remembering those who were fallen in the Holocaust. And so this always happens during the counting of the Omer, and not to mention the Talmudim of Rabbi Akiva, who uh, were also martyred during this time and died from a pandemic during their time. So all of these different events are meant to birth new newness out of us. And so I just think it's Interesting that this is all connected to Yeshua identifying with us and everything that he wants to birth within us. Because he said, I want you to go out into all the nations, to all the Goyim, make Talmudim, make followers of the way, followers of the truth, followers of the life, which is the Torah. And what is the culmination of the Mezora being rehabilitated back into civilization? They become born again. So we see in Parashat Tadzria Mezora that, yes, there's a, a, a whole consequence, an offering and everything brought. But at the end of it is a new creation. The person literally shaves everything just like a baby when they come out of the womb. Typically, babies are bald. I mean, some babies have hair. Like, we were blessed and fortunate. Our son came out with a full head of hair. That was crazy. But, <laughs> you know, for the, the Medzora, you, you have to be bald and shave everything and immerse yourself in water, and you literally come out of the waters like a newborn babe. So this exile is meant to do the same thing, which is why Eliyahu Hanavi, Elijah the prophet is so important because through his heralding the final redemption, he's connected with purity. So purifying us, as it were, from our state of impurity and making us ready for the Mashiach. May it be soon in our days. Mm, amen. Um, when you mentioned uh, Mitzrayim being non-consequential, um, there is one aspect to that, and that is Mita Kanegad Kamita regarding uh, the brothers having sold Yosef into Egypt as a slave. Yeah. Measure for measure. So Yaakov goes down into Mitzrayim himself, even though he is not directly responsible 
for Yosef being sold into slavery. Wait, so he, he who knew no sin? Yes. Wow. That yeah, that's a pretty big one. When I stumbled across it, I said, like, you know, it's no accident, you know. Um, you know, it's the same with the Malbul. It's a new right. beginning. Um, but the thing is, um, about this week's double portion, Tazria Metzora, it has more to do with Lashon Hara than it does with Hansen's disease. Wow. Uh, a connecting passage would be Numbers 12, where Miriam and Aharon criticize Moshe. This is how the CJB puts it. And I think that's a really good um, translation. It brings about a more depthful meaning and how dangerous Lashon Har is. Any doubts, you should read the Hafez Kaim. Amen. Um, they were exiled into Babylon for it. The second temple was destroyed because of it. Um, the master himself said, if you hate your brother without a cause, you will be in danger of the judgment. And it's by decree of the heavenly court that these things happen. But the stench of death began with Adam HaRishon when he disobeyed Hashem and ate of the tree that he was not supposed to. So he traded the ore, the divine light, for fleshly garments. And this, in a sense, is the result of Lashon Hara. You know, I was you know, afraid, you know, and I clothed myself in fig leaves, you know, because I right. heard you walking in the garden. And it, can it we just tap on fig leaves when so when you're done to go back to that? I mean, it's um, but what I wanted to do was I wanted to read from Numbers 12. This is. Um, such a significant chapter it just connects so powerfully Miriam and Aharon began criticizing Moshe on account of the Ethiopian woman he had married for he had in fact married an Ethiopian woman it, you know what this is me the Kanega committed again because Yosef married an Egyptian and had Manasseh and Ephraim Oh, my they goodness. Said, they said, is it true that Adonai has spoken only with Moshe? Hasn't he spoken with us, too? Adonai heard them. Now, this man, Moshe, was very humble, more so than anyone on earth. Suddenly, Adonai told Moshe, Aharon and Miriam, come out, you three, to the tent of meeting." The three of them went out. Adonai came down in a column of cloud and stood at the entrance to the tent. He summoned Aharon and Miriam, and they both went forward. He said, listen to what I say. When there is a prophet among you, I, 
Adonai make myself known to him. In a vision, I speak with him in a dream. But it isn't that way with my servant, Moshe. Mm. He is the only one who is faithful in my entire household. With him, I speak face to face. Penei el penei. And clearly, not in riddles. He sees the image of Adonai. So why weren't you afraid to criticize my servant, Moshe? The anger of Adonai flared up against him, and he left. But when the cloud was removed from above the tent, Miriam had Zara hot, as white as snow. Aharon looked at Miriam, and she was white as snow. This is the high priest looking at her. Aharon said to Moshe, Oh, my Lord, please don't punish us for the sin we committed so foolishly. Please don't let her be like a stillborn baby with its body half eaten away when it comes out of its mother's womb. Moshe cried to Adonai, Oh, God, I beg you, please heal her. Adonai answered Moshe, If her father had merely spit, in her face, wouldn't she hide herself in shame for seven days? So let her be shut out of the camp for seven days. After that, she can be brought back in. Miriam was shut out of the camp seven days, and the people did not travel until she was brought back in. Afterwards, the people went on from Hazaroth and camped in the Paran Desert. And what's interesting is Rashi's comment regarding this in connection with uh, the rebellion of Korach and the sin of the spies. Rashi comments that they did not learn from this lesson. Mm. So we have here this narrative which parallels, which our master's life parallels because so many spoke against him. Right. And yet he's, and yet he's the prophet like Moshe. <laughs> so you have the Parashim, a, a, a part of them who are not in an official sect of Judaism in the first century, speaking all this evil. And the master says, you know, blessed are you when they will speak evil of you and all manner of falsehood for my sake. The master, you, the master willingly took on all of this. All that, right. all that, you know, this form of Sarah, which renders one uh, to me. Um, mm -hmm. because in this state, you can't approach Hashem. So put this in the context of the Mishkan in the wilderness. The Mishkan's about worship. It's not about the forgiveness of willful committed sin. This is why Miriam was put outside the camp, but only the priest. This is why Aharon was right there. This is why Aharon prayed in a manner that he did because he knew. He had to declare her clean after 
her being put out of the camp for seven days at the command of Adonai. So, you know, this is a very powerful lesson here um, that we need well, to be careful. Yeah, I was just going to tag to that when you talk about the the speaking against and it was uh, the persecution and everything because of the name of Yeshua. You know, the Medzora is called a Motsi Shem Ra. You know, like turning Yeshua into an evil name. You know, they'll speak against you because of my namesake, you know, like that's it's amazing. And then um, I was going to say real quick on the the fig leaves by Adam, like Adam is a tree, right? Because man is likened to a tree. So is isn't it interesting that Adam made himself into a fig tree? Quote, unquote, right? The tree put on fig leaves. So now we know why the tree was cursed in the Gospels. Because it represented Adam hiding in the figs again. And so it's like, when are we going to learn? Quit shifting blame. Quit slandering the name of Hashem. Quit slandering our brother. Because when we slander our brother, we slander the name of Hashem. Why? Because man is made in the image of Hashem. And we're supposed to bring uh, Kedushin from heaven. That's right. This is, how, this is how we change the world. This is how we bring holiness, sanctification. Yeah. Um, because who are we to be critical, you know? Because if, if you're critical of someone else, then you're not looking at yourself. You're trying to avoid responsibility for your own um, be goat. Wow. It also shows lack of busar discipline on your part when you don't guard your tongue. Wow. Literally us not dealing with ourselves is what causes that. Mm -hmm. Well, all right. I remember um, Hashem's words to Cain. If you do well, won't you be accepted? Mm. But sin lies at the door. Good night. And you know, the last verse you read from the Numbers passage, it says the place that they left was called Chatzrot, which is actually the word that's used for the temple courtyard. So the temple courtyard is called the Chatzerot. So we left from there and then we went to Paran which Paran is connected to the word for unripe. When you actually look that word up. And the first use of Paran 
is actually in Genesis 21. Uh, and oh my goodness. Okay. Let me see if I can read this real quick. So, and God was with the boy and he grew up and settled in the wilderness and became a great archer. And while he was dwelling in the wilderness of Paran, his mother got a wife for him from the land of Mitzrayim. So this is Yishmael, Ishmael. So we left the temple courts and we actually went to Paran, the place where Yishmael was uh, to settle and begin, uh, se- begin basically starting his family. So what I find interesting about that is that the, in the courtyard of the temple, they actually had a place where the lepers would come and meet. So they had a whole area that was for if you are a Mazora, you meet over here <laughs> to get examined, right? And so the whole thing about we were in the Chatzerot in the wilderness when we were getting um, looked and checked for Za'arat because of Miriam. So Miriam's contracting of Za'arat affected the whole entire nation and caused the whole entire nation to be seen as you're all are going to stay here. We're going to isolate. We're going to quarantine. And we'll talk about this again in seven days. (laughs) And then after that, we're going to go to a place of unripeness. And then what did you just say? The incident of Korok, because they didn't learn from this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I believe that, the, yeah, if I remember correctly, the sages say that um, Korok's Nefesh was destroyed in Gehenna. One of the very few instances of that ever happening because wow. of the severity of his rebellion. Yeah. Um, even worse, this is why Rashi's comment on this passage and then Korach and the sin of the spies links these two, links these three together. Wow. And yeah. so, it, see, now that I mentioned the number three, um, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, but no sign will be given to it except for the sign of the prophet Yonah, for he was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish. And so, mm. too, will the son of man be in the earth three days and three nights? Um, yeah. Okay. Continue here. An account in the Talmud speaks to this as well. Rabbi Yehoshua ben Levi was a third century teacher who is said to have had an encounter with Eliyahu. Not uncommon in the Talmud. Rabbi Yehoshua asked Eliyahu, when will the Messiah come? Go and ask him himself was his reply. Where is he sitting? At the entrance, 
And by what sign may I recognize him? He is sitting among the poor lepers, caring for them. So he went to him, Messiah, and greeted him, saying, Peace upon thee, master and teacher. Peace upon thee, O son of Levi. He replied, When will you come, master? asked he. Today was his answer. On his returning to Eliyahu, the latter inquired, What did he say to you? He spoke falsely to me. He rejoined, stating that he would come today, but has not. He, Elijah, answered him, This is what he said to you today, if you will hear his voice. Sanhedrin 98a. With echoes of Psalm 95.7, and by extension Hebrews 4.7, we hear the challenge of the leper Messiah. Do you hear his voice? He came and sat among us, we lepers. He bound up our sores. He healed us from our death, disease. Do you hear the leper Messiah? He is coming today. And what's uh, interesting is Adam's sin brought death into the world, as Shaul writes, but by one man, life came into the world. That is the Zadik, the master. Wow. And Rabbi Nachman writes a lot about this in Likutei Mohoran. Mm-hmm. How those who attach themselves to the Zadik and learn from him and walk in his ways, which are, of course, the ways of Torah, can bring atonement for many. Because Yeshua said himself, the Son of Man has come to give his life a ransom for many. Um, kind of touching on a previous rumination, it is sad that some do not see the narrative of the Exodus being played out in the book of Acts. Right. And, and today. So for, since the first century, this exodus has been continuing and you and I and everyone else who makes the Torah mark of their discipleship to the master are in that place of redemption. We're experiencing it for ourselves. Redemption from the old ways, the old man and his, and his ways that are just simply stand in opposition to the Torah. Derek Hashem, the way of Hashem. Stony heart. And I'll give you a heart of flesh. Jeremiah yeah. 31, 31 to 34. And that heart of flesh gets circumcised, which is the removal of the barrier. And what's interesting is the stone is used to fashion the knife for the circumcision. 
Because when Yehoshua circumcised Israel in Mitzrayim before we left, and once again, when we got into the land at Gilgal, he used a flint stone, which is what the rock that traveled with us in the wilderness was made out of. So if you think about it, your stony heart should fashion the tool to circumcise your heart of flesh. So we talk about this, taking your two hearts and serving Hashem, which are your two inclinations. That's the two bets that is in the word for your heart in the Shema. And that is your Yetzahara, your evil inclination, and your Yetzer Hatov, your good inclination. So your heart of flesh would be your Yetzer Hatov because it wants to serve Hashem. It's like, I submit myself to you. I lay my life down. Like I offer up my flesh like we do with the Corbin Oak. Yet Sahara is like, I ain't doing it. You, you can't make me, you know, kind of thing. And it's like, no, you're, I'm not going to make you. I'm going to use you actually to circumcise my heart of flesh. So you literally end up offering up your two hearts to Hashem when you take your evil inclination and subdue it to your uh, your good inclination and bring that to Hashem. Yeah, the mystical dimension of the Korbano Kata. Yeah. You, you know, Yeshua struggled with this, you know, Luke um, 23, I believe. The Garden of Gethsemane, Gethsemane when he was <sighs> when he sweat great drops of blood. Oh man. Cause he totally was like, let this cup pass for me. Like, I don't want to do it. But wow. Nevertheless, not mine, but yours. Dude, that's deep. <laughs> I know. It's getting mystical on this part because there's so much there to explore that would deepen your emunah and your bitakon in Hashem. Um, because I was listening to a mystical Kabbalah audio book a couple of nights ago and the meditation on the Baal Shem Tov when he and two of his Talmudim endured the most miserable Shabbat you could ever think of all for the rectification of the wife of a man who was wronged and the Baal Shem Tov did not say anything. And so this battle in the heavenlies erupted between the accusing angels and the defending angels. And so the verdict comes down from the heavenly court and they say he must endure one miserable Shabbos. And he remembered why. Because the Shabbos before the man was with a scraggly beard and teeth and a miserable looking table where there's nothing uh, old wine bread that was terrible 
But the next day, a feast fit for a king. The finest china, the finest silverware, everything. No expense was spared. There are so many lessons that can be drawn from this, but the one I think that is the exile can be self-imposed upon us. You know, the depth, misery loves company. You know, everyone knows that one. Mm-hmm. But delight knows company as well. Come on. Oneg, Oneg means delight. Yes, gather on Nach, the Shabbat. Nach Oneg. Yeah. Um, Noach's name, the two letters form the word um, uh, Nakabu, comfort. Wow. Uh, Meduka, contentment. Mm-hmm. Come on. Um, Yom Shekalo Shabbat. Yom Zay, Le Yisrael, Orasimka, Shabbat Menuka. Mm-hmm. This day shall be light and joy for Israel. It's what we do with it because Hashem has given. Look, see, I have given you the Shabbat. It's a gift, it's the picture of the world to come. Yeah. And, that this meditation is so powerful that it could give you this glimpse if we but see it. It's like Psalm 95, that's at the end of this rumination. If but today you will hear his voice and harden not your hearts as in the day of provocation when your fathers tempted me in the wilderness and saw my works for 40 years. I was not pleased with that generation. I swore in my wrath that they will not enter my rest. Shabbat, that's the other meaning of that word. Rest, contentment, peace, wholeness, stillness. They they just weren't still in their mind. This is one of the foundation principles of Kabbalah. And meditation is that you have to still your mind. You were telling me this last time on the previous rumination. Or after the yeah. previous rumination. We had a little after party. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 you know, it, it bears repeating because through repetition, it becomes a habit spiritually. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, if they just... but. Shaul writes in Corinthians, these things happen for our admonition to remind us of the consequences of disobedience, of constantly testing Hashem. You know, when Yeshua was tested in the wilderness, he stood firm. He he was be still. Yeah, Satan put him on the pinnacle of the temple and said, throw yourself down, for it is written, your angels will take charge over you, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And the master's response was, you shall not put Hashem your God to the test. Well, 
Shemot 14, 13. But Moshe said to the people, have no fear, stand by. You know, like Al-Tirah, and then it uses Yatzav, like to stand, like as in Nitzavim. This whole thing about st- being still, like you're talking about, like don't don't go run around like crazy. Don't be pacing, wringing your hands. You know, literally, be still and know that I am God from the Tehillim. That's what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. How deep is of- your bittercone? How deep is it? How much confidence do you have in Hashem? That splits the sea. He told Moshe, you raised the staff. Yeah. Man. And the interesting thing is um, we get to Exodus 17 where Amalek attacks Israel. And who does he attack? Those in the rear. Those weak in Amunah. Yep. Those are on shaky ground. What does the master say regarding the two foundations? There was one man who built his house on the sand and when the wind and the waves came, it just washed it away. And then there's the man who built his house on the rock, Zur, the Torah. The wind and the waves came and that house stood. I think of the Beit Midrashes. You know, you, you read, you study Talmud, you study the Gemaras, and they're so deeply rooted in the Torah. And once you get to know the Agadics, like if you, like Ain Yalko is a good commentary because he focuses on the Agadics of the Talmud and the Gemaras. And then you have Tosafos who at times disagrees with Rashi's comment. But all this, you bring out a a really beautiful theme because they're all after the same thing. It's the world to come. They're painting a picture, very detailed one of what we can expect. See, that's one of the beauties of Talmud that I've discovered and it's so deep. This is why we can't reject the words of the sages. Right. Come on. Because now, they're bringing you... us to deepest secrets of the Torah. Because the Torah is the world to come. It's the reality that Hashem originally intended. But because of man's rebellion, he wants to create his own reality. Problem is, before our eyes today, Hashem is reorganizing it restructuring it back to what is written because what was will be again. Yep, it's a process. Just like we see with the Medzora. Mm -hmm. Now, did did you just say building your house on the rock? Uh Uh-huh. When we went to war with Amalek, where was Moshe? Didn't they put him on a rock? The rock, yeah, and they're holding his arms up. 
He had so, a staff in the hand. So the house on the rock. Mm-hmm. Did you know Hebrews chapter 3, verse 3 calls Moshe a house? Yes. Faithful in my house, Numbers 12. Yeah. So Numbers 3, or it's like a Hebrews 3. Check this out. I'm going to read verses 2 and 3. Verse 2, he was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moshe was faithful in all of God's house. Verse 3, for Yeshua had been counted worthy of greater glory than Moshe, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. So the builder of the house, Yeshua, the house itself, Moshe. Which is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift? Yeah. So you're talking about building our foundation on the rock, Mm -hmm. which supports the house. You know, and we know that the rock is Hashem. We know that Moshe is the house. The builder of the house is Yeshua. You know, we have this understanding that the first redeemer is Moshe. The last redeemer will be Moshe as well. Right. And so there's like this relationship of like, is it because it says uh, the law came through Moshe, but grace came through Yeshua. And it's like, well, which one came first? (laughs) You know, right? Because we wouldn't even have the Torah had it not been for the grace of Hashem. See, for those who think that uh, grace is something new, I would ask the question then, when is that word first used? (laughs) Why don't you tell the audience? The word hen in Hebrew is grace, and it is found at the very end of Parashat Bay Rishit in the Maftir. Bay Noach Matzahen Bay Ene Hashem. It's not the Matzah Pesach, no, it is what he found in the eyes of Hashem, and that is grace. And if you do a musical chairs with those two letters, it spells Noach. Wow. Same gematria. Yeah. That's legit. Because Noach finding grace, you know, like what what's the context? He's in a crooked and perverse, perverse generation. generation. And he's the only one, him and his family, listening to the voice of Hashem. And which, in his generation, he was considered righteous. The sages comment, however, though, if he had lived to the days of Abraham, his righteousness would not have counted so much. Wow. Same thing for us. Had we lived in previous generations, the level that we're able to attain now, this would be nothing. 
you know you think about our fast days like we don't fast for three days like they used to we don't spend hours davening like they used to you know and we're not coming up with mishnah and gemara (laughs) we're reading it (laughs) i mean i would confess that we're spoiled with all this technology it's made us lazy spiritually and we're too busy trying to live off the merit of others when we should be creating merit of our own so that others would attach themselves to us. That's a very heavy responsibility when you think about it because people come to you with questions and they, they're looking for answers, honest answers. Yeah. And the Torah yeah, provides I... these answers if, but see, here's the thing though, you can't force it on those who are not ready because their vessel is not prepared. And it'll break. They won't be able to contain the light and the vessel will shatter. This is why uh, the breaking of the vessels at creation was an immature form of Asilu. Exactly. Because Asilu at that time could not contain the divine light. Yeah, that was a part of the world of strict justice. So, like, Hashem created, and he was just like, it's all Gevura. There is no margin of error. And it was like, okay, well, because that ain't going to (laughs) work. You know, and this is the whole, uh, the whole understanding so if you do this hor- horrible, bad sin, like God's going to throw a lightning bolt at you. Number one, we shouldn't be testing God anyway and asking him how no. good his aim is. But second of all, this world wasn't created with Givura. Hashem says, I am long suffering. That's why I created man. I'm merciful. But don't play me, though. <laughs> right? Because oh, yeah. the earth ate Korok. Okay? Like... <laughs> yeah stuff happens right so but anyway um i mean hebrews 10 yeah. 20 10 someone who disregards the torah of moshe is put to death without mercy on the word of two or three witnesses think mm. how much worse will be the punishment deserved by someone who has trampled underfoot the son of god who has treated as something common the blood of the covenant which made him holy and who has insulted the spirit the the giver of god's grace he who spoke from sinai this Mm. is the imagery that he's bringing out right here he's taking us back to sinai here and reminding us that he showed his grace when he gave the torah for Shaul writes in Romans, I would not know what sin was if it wasn't for Torah. And in Romans seven fourteen, for I know that the Torah is good. For the one we know is the one who said, vengeance is my responsibility. I will repay. And then said, Adonai will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God, the one 
the only. What does Peter say? If judgment begins at the house, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Yeah, think about that for a second. You know, take it in and realize that. And here's the other thing. Um, you who are once afar off, strangers from the covenants of promise in the world without God, but now because of Messiah, you have been brought near by the blood, the shedding of the Zadik's blood of atonement, and now partakers of the covenants of promise made co-citizens of Israel. Yeah. Now read this, read this, these passages in Hebrews in that context, and you will realize the gravity of the responsibility of being in the covenant. Because when your heart is circumcised, that's the foreskin of the klipo that is being removed, and you come under the klipa of Mashiach, of divine mm -hmm. light. I mean, just enough to bring illumination, elucidation in your Torah study. But anything more than that, through lack of unpreparedness, your vessel will shatter and boom. It's like you have to start over. Yeah. You're explaining the reason why we count the Omer. And the other because... thing about Lagbo Omer, the uh, Fei Tang has an awesome article. A very serious drop. The Fei oh, Tang. The okay. Times of Israel. Oh my goodness, man. This drop is so huge. Uh, he talks about when Yeshua ascended. Six days before Pesach began the 40-day count to Lagba Omer, and it was on Lagba Omer that he ascended. Oh, so the ascension of Mashiach was on Lagba Omer. According to him. Hmm. Okay. I had to take that in, you know, and... um. I don't know if I sent you that article or not, but... No, not that one. Because the uh, crazy part about that is I will, I've always been wondering the bonfire things because the times that we've heard about Mashiach ascending and fire, like Zohar says, there will be a pillar of fire that takes up the Mashiach when he goes, you know. And then we read about the angel who appears to Manoach and his wife, the parents of Samson, uh, he goes up in a fire. <laughs> so, that's crazy. I think I could bring it up here. Yeah. So, basically, Yeshua is considered dead um, seven days before Pesach which is the whole Medzora thing because he would be impure, be outside the camp. That whole thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just brought up the article here. Emor, um, the secret of Lagba Omer, tree of knowledge. According to Zohar, Pesach was the redemption of speech. And according to the Arizal, the generation of Moshe was the generation of knowledge. Knowledge is expressed through the 
the through the faulty faculty of speech for a mouth that speaks sits between the right brain wisdom and the left brain understanding in front of the cerebellum small brain which is the anatomical parallel to the sephira of knowledge what is knowledge and why is it used as the euphemism for marital intimacy in the bible wisdom is inspiration understanding is perception and knowledge is cognition which in essence is one's self-awareness i.e the ability for one to know that he is separate from the totality of god this is what happened to adam harishon after he sinned he was completely separated from the totality of god which is why he hashem asked where are you adam so my god my god why have you forsaken me Forsake the me. only time the father and the son were separated mita kenega mita yep okay i thought that's what you said <laughs> uh, okay the tree of life represents the totality of god which is the consciousness of adam before he ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil so the hebrew word or aleph vav resh consciousness yeah but his consciousness descended to the level of knowledge of good and evil that was a descent okay so the serpent was telling us go get this high knowledge and it was like actually that's that's beneath us it's lower <laughs> than or ain't so Dude, we got gypped so bad. Oh, yes. And you wonder why the serpent has no legs. <laughs> <laughs> it may be surmised that the act of eating in this context represents the critical moment when totality disintegrates into particularity. In other words, this is the moment when Adam acquired the knowledge of separation, Havdalah, <laughs> we were never supposed to have a half dollar. Uh, that's what that reminds us of. We're separated from the totality of Hashem. Uh, Are we getting the blue screen? I want to throw something. I need something to throw. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, this guy brings or really what he brings is just really ties so many things together yeah let's see as it is written and they knew that they were naked genesis 3 7 meaning at a deeper level the awareness of being separated from the totality of god the fig leaves oh. <laughs> you're you're of a divided heart a divided mind and that's what nakedness is Oh my goodness. The two hemispheres of the brain. Wow. Covenant between the parts. The Sine Lukot, how brief. Yeah. So you wonder why we're in exile. Why was the fig tree cursed? Okay. Making sense now. When a man wants to know a woman at the moment of 
marital intimacy, which is the tree of knowledge. At the subconscious level of man, it is as if he is attempting to find the tree of life that was no more. Eating from the tree of knowledge is the critical moment in completing the creation of man, for only through taking this step can man attain his self-awareness. Does man have the free will in choosing not to eat? The answer is yes. As freedom by definition can't be imposed on man, but rather chosen by man, the fact that Adam had chosen speaks of his freedom to choose. After Adam ate from the tree of knowledge, he was consequently blocked from the tree of life and exiled from the garden. Why? This is because by definition, man's self-awareness is antithesis to the totality of God in which the self is nullified, which is the tree of life of consciousness. This is a foundational principle of Kabbalistic meditation. Bro, Galatians 5.1 totally says for freedom, which you just said is a choice, i.e. I set before you this day life and death, choose life, because it's a choice. So before us descending to the level of knowledge of good and evil, we were free. We, we chose life because that's what we were. That was our consciousness. But you said we were separated from that. There was a Havdalah. So now our choice was taken away because now we're just going to follow the whims of our own desires. This is another reason why <clears throat> the temptations of Yeshua was so important because he was letting us know threefold. I don't follow my own temptation. Like I don't follow my desires. He spoke it. And he also exemplified it with those temptations. But the rest of Galatians 5.1, stand firm. There is a standing still again. And do not be encumbered once more by a yoke of slavery. Do not return to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Do not go back to Mitzrayim. Anyway, you were you were saying all that, and that that, that was like blaring me in the face. <clears throat> okay, freedom is a choice, though. Are you serious? We're always faced with it. We're faced with the totality of Hashem or our own self awareness. You have to choose. But do you see why this is so important in meditation, the Kabbalah? Because it's the practice of self-nullification. Wow. The and that's the only way to learn your, to the way. Yeah. When you um, take a candle and you um, put it against the noonday sun, it is subsumed in its light. Oh, because that's our soul in the light of Hashem. Mm -hmm. Nice. Okay. Is man therefore doomed by having his self-awareness? The answer is no. 
That is exactly what the entire Bible is all about, i.e. the redemption of the tree of knowledge, consciousness, to the tree of life, consciousness. The process consists of three stages, totality, particularity, and totality. The latter totality is inevitably higher than the original totality by the merit of having the particularity as the process. It may be surmised that there is no particularity in the original totality, and the end goal is for the totality to paradoxically include particularity. The secret of counting the Omer is the exact reverse of the Garden of Eden experience. In the Garden of Eden, man moved from the totality of the tree of life to the particularity of the tree of knowledge, after which man was blocked from the tree of life. In fact, in the first redemption story, which is the seed and the prototype for all future redemptions, the direction of flow was reversed. The children of Israel were brought out from the exile in Egypt to count the Omer for 49 days in order to receive Torah on the 50th day. Torah is the tree of life. It may be surmised that somewhere in the counting process, there is a critical point that symbolizes the tree of knowledge. And this critical point is none other than Lag Ba'omer, the 33rd day of counting the Omer. Secret of marital intimacy. Human experience below is but a parable to reveal divine truth above. As above, so below. In the act of marital intimacy, the starting point is to, a critical moment of entering, touching, followed by the marital union and concluded with the moment of withdrawing, not touching. The state of union symbolizes the tree of life, consciousness, but in this world of finitude, the union inevitably desensitizes, which necessitates the act of running and returning, or in Hebrew, the act of running, therefore, parallels the first critical moment of touching, which is good. The act of returning, therefore, parallels the final critical moment of not touching, i.e. withdrawing, which is not good, therefore evil. It follows that the tree of knowledge of good and evil is the secret of running and returning, and the state of union between the two critical moments is the tree of life. When a man answers his wife, it is the moment of tree of knowledge of good, and conversely, when he withdraws, it is the moment of tree of knowledge of evil, and that which is which in between is the tree of life. In other words, the tree of knowledge of good and evil is unified with the tree of life and the constant movement of running and returning. The gematria of running and returning, or Ratzel Vashov, is 611, which is the same gematria of Torah, known as the tree of life, hence the tree of knowledge 
and the tree of life becomes one in the secret of the marital intimacy. So we have uh, Ratso, Bashov, 611, and Torah, 611. The sin of Adam Adam and Eve, therefore, as can be derived, is the separation of the dynamic mode from the static mode. The dynamic mode is symbolized by the tree of knowledge, and the static mode is the tree of life. Lagba Omer. 32 days precedes Lagba Omer, which is followed by 17 days until the 50th day. The 32 Mm. days represent the 32 paths of wisdom leading Mm. up to the 50th gate of understanding with the 33rd day as the critical point connecting the two. Astonishingly, the 33rd composite number is exactly 49 meaning the light revealed on the 33rd day is tantamount to the light culminated on the 49th day of the counting of the Omer. It follows that Magba Omer is the entrance to the 50th day in the same manner as the 49th day precedes the 50th day. It is now evident that Magba Omer on the 33rd day symbolizes the tree of knowledge and Savaot on the 50th day symbolizes the tree of life. For on the 50th day was Torah given. Lagba Omer in the time dimension is what the entrance to the Garden of Eden is in the space of in the space dimension. With the 32 days of counting parallels, the exile from the garden and the remaining 17 days parallels the redemption in the garden in exact reverse order. For 17 is the gematria of Tov, good, which is light. Adam died after eating from the tree of knowledge, and the 24,000 students of Rabbi Akiva died from Pesach until Lagba Omer, which is the tree of knowledge, in reverse order. The parallel is as follows. From left to right, tree of life, tree of knowledge, Exile to the world. From right to left, exile in Egypt, Lagba Omer, Torah. By the east of Garden of Eden, man was exiled, and by Lagba Omer shall man be redeemed. The Gematria of east of Garden of Eden in Gematria is 351, which is exactly the same as Lagba Omer. 351 is the the triangle number of 26, the gematria of Hashem. Of course. And Hashem is a consuming bar. And 26 times 2 is 52, which is Ben, plus 1 is Evan. Okay. If death is the result of eating from the tree of knowledge, when the process is reversed, Lagba Omer will become the rectification of the tree of knowledge, at which point death becomes life. Is it any wonder that the Gematria of Torah of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai is 1,313, 
which is exactly the Sangamatria of resurrection of the dead. For this is the day when death ceases and life prevails. Torah Simeon Bar Yokai, 1313. Tekiyat Hamatim, resurrection of the dead. Lagba Omer, Laetz, Hadaat Tovera, Lagba Omer to the tree of knowledge of good and evil, 1313. In other words, Lagba Omer is the secret of touching and not touching, the running and returning, the state of nothing and something by which one enters into the mystical realm of Torah known as the Garden of Eden, where the soul is basked in the divine emanation of light. The gematria of those three concepts is also 1,313, which is Nogea Be'enu Nogea, touching and not touching, Ratzon Vashov, yes, Ayin. Running and returning, something from nothing. Same Gematria, 1,313. The spinal column. The 32 days correspond to the Tree of Life and her particularized fragments in that 32 is the sum of 10 sephirot plus 22 paths, the Hebrew letters, as known. When the 32 fragments are fused into the totality as one, the result is 32 plus one equals 33 lagba omer, which is the secret of the transformation of particularity of the tree of knowledge into the totality of the tree of life. Is it any wonder that solid ice melts at the temperature of 32 degrees Fahrenheit, meaning that water starts flowing at 33 degrees Fahrenheit, symbolizing life from death? That's insane. There are, oh, hold on, it gets, keeps getting better. <laughs> there are 33 vertebrae in the human spinal column in accordance with the 33 days of the counting of the Omer leading up to Lagba Omer. Standing upright. You're required. Okay. It's the halakha to stand when reciting the brook, the, the bracha for the Omer. That's right. We stand. <laughs> okay. The cerebellum, small brain, is connected with the male organ by the spinal column through which knowledge da'at descends into foundation yesod or mind crystallizes into seed yesod is called the third leg and the pineal gland atop the spinal column is called the third eye it is now evident that the parallel of counting omer from day one to day 33 is the spinal column in the human body that one just really grabbed me. <laughs> wow. 
the spinal column in the form of a tree is the tree of knowledge within man. The third eye is to the direction of good, and the third leg is to the direction of evil. The gematria of spinal column in Hebrew is 634, which is exactly the same gematria of the tree of knowledge. And get this, amod is the word, which means to stand. Mm -hmm. And get this, this, the next word in the the phrase, hasidra. The parsha. Yeah, a section of Torah that we read. (laughs) The spinal column. Is a Torah scroll. Yeah. That bends. <laughs> and then yeah. you have Etzda'at, which is the same gematria, 634. There's a crazy thing about these Torah scroll tablets. Because the tablets were able to roll up like a scroll. And Rabbi Greenbaum Shlita was bringing down this week that the fetus in the womb resembles sapphire tablets the way it's it it develops and it grows and eventually the legs are folded and the the hands are on the temples and it says we look like a folded tablet and i'm like dude this midrash about the sapphire tablets being foldable like how do you fold stone like are you serious But it's just like, oh, they, they're coming out finally with this technology with phones because they have the little flip uh, smartphones now with the screen. You can fold it, and then it's got like a trifold. The, the double screen phones that they have now, it has a foldable screen to it. You know, so if we can do it with phones, you know, we're, we're, we're getting there. <laughs> but anyway, spinal column, folds, bends, torso scroll. I just thought um, when they take the Torah scroll out of the Aron, the person carrying it holds it as if it were an infant. <sighs> wow. That was well, mind-blowing, man. Makes sense because the Torah teaches us to be born again like a newborn babe. So it's just like, here you go. Rock the baby. Be Aren't like you a child of Israel, and you don't know Yes, yes. Says the The kingdom belongs to those such as these little children. Uh, the mouths of babes and sucklings, you have perfected praise. Nice. Psalm eight. Okay. See, that which flows inside the spinal column is bone, marrow, which is the source of life, symbolizing the tree of life connected with the tree of knowledge. When the tree of life is revealed within the tree of knowledge, this is the revelation of Mashiach on Lag Ba'omer. For the gematria of bone, marrow, and spinal column, and gematria is 888, exactly the gematria of the Mashiach spelled out as follows. Amod HaSidra Umaak 
etzim. And note that etzim is the word for essence. Oh my goodness. And of course, Mashiach spelled out is hey, mem, sheen, yo, het. 888. Okay. According to Acts <laughs> 1 3, Yeshua continued for 40 days after his passion. The mm -hmm. obvious question is when is the first day of his passion? So. We can do the counting. When is the first day of his passion? Oh my goodness. Because I would always think it started from him being resurrected and he was with us 40 days. And it's like, what's the 40th day of the Omer? Like, what is it all about? And it's like, actually, go back a little bit. This is good, bro. I like this. According to Exodus 12.3, the lamb for the Pesach must be identified on the 10th of Nisan. According to John 12.1, Yeshua was at Bethany six days prior to Pesach, which would be the 9th of Nisan. And according to John 12.12, 12, the next day following the 9th of, ah, of Nisan, Yeshua entered into Jerusalem on which day he was identified as the lamb. Oh. Counting from the night of the sun, 40 days later would land Yeshua exactly on the 18th of ER, a month we just entered, which is yeah. the 33rd day of the counting of the Omer. It is now evident that the day Yeshua ascended to the heaven was exactly on Lagba Omer. Lagba Omer is the day of counting known as Hod and Hod. Hod Shebi Hod. Which is the interface between Binah and Malkut. For Binah descends until Hod and Malkut ascends until Hod. And it is therefore precisely on the 33rd day, the concealed world, Binah meets the revealed world, Malkut. Love and one. Hashem and Gematria is 26, which is the union of love, 13 and 13. The desire to become one on the 32nd day is that which ushers in Lagba Omer on the 33rd day, for 32 is the product of the three letters of one multiplied by each other as follows. 32 is four times eight times one. The resulting love on the 34th day is that which concludes Lagba Omer for 34 is the sum of the triangle numbers of each of four letters of love as follows. Um, Ahava which is 5 plus 2 plus 5 plus 1 meaning so it's spelling out Ahava like the Aleph is 1 the Hay is 5 the Bet is 2 the Hay is 5 yeah if you can see I don't know if you can see this or not but it's right here 
There it is. It's coming into focus. There we go. Center of the screen. Oh my goodness. That is ridiculous. <sighs> I never knew you could do that. So you multiply those numbers together? What you what happens is you take um So he's doing five times two, like the for all that. The triangle is the Greek symbol for lambda. Yeah. The triangle of the numbers. Wait, 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 wait. The Greek symbol for lambda. Yeah, I'll put it up again. That symbol is put on. I think either the Cohen Gadol or the Showbread. So that's interesting. I think okay. uh, the other thing about it is it's part of Pythagorean theory regarding the hypotenuse, the right angle. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so you get 34 by doing what again? You, the other, okay, five is on one side of the triangle. So what you have is the other two sides. So what you have to do is five times three is 15. Mm -hmm. If I got it right, I was still, I was still trying to figure it out myself, um, but you have the so final five, 15 plus 3 plus 15 plus 1 is 34. Yeah, so. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go there on my screen. So my, my video is going to go off because I got to see this. <laughs> I'm going to go find it. Hang on. I was trying to do it on my tablet, but my tablet just pooped out on me, so. Oh, okay. Thanks a lot, tablet. I'll have to do it over here. Yeah, I'm going to send it to you. Oh, I'm almost there. Boom. Got it. Got it. <laughs> Beat you by one second. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Tell that everybody I appreciate it. Because if, if I wouldn't have found it, I would have cried like a little baby. Ask me how I know how little babies cry. <laughs> this is the end of the article by the way uh, <laughs> yep gotcha man yeah to be to be what okay to be one is that which motivates the mode of running and love is that which guarantees the mode of returning the sum of 32 and 34 is 66 which is the secret of the tree of life. And thus, uh, yeah, Haya, Hove, Yee, That phrase has a gematria of 66. Hmm. And it's interesting that there are. 66 quote-unquote books of the Torah or yep. the Bible. Yep. Hmm. 
coincidence? I think not. Uh, no. Okay, so I'm I'm definitely with help of Hashem. I'm gonna sit down with that triangle number thing because no. the triangle number always bring out brings out a lot of stuff, like the 153, the triangle being 17, and all that connecting to Tove and the good and um, Bezalel and Yeshua, all that kind of stuff. So this is really, really wow. Cray cray. Okay, so yeah, I'm gonna leave so, back over here. Um, <laughs> so what so we have is ascension. Uh, yeah. You, um. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> no, no, no. I was just saying that Yeshua ascended on Lagba Omer. Hode of Hode, Malkut and Bina. The upper Shekinah, the lower Shekinah, upper is Bina, lower is Malkut. They come together. And the Midrash from Messiah text says that Hashem will clothe the Mashiach in something of the hod, the splendor of his glory upon his ascension. And because Malkut rises or ascends to the level of your soul and Bernard descends to the level of your soul. Wow. What I find interesting in Acts is that uh, a couple of Malachim come to the Talmudim and say, why are you standing here gazing into heaven? This same Yeshua you saw taken up will return in like manner. Get you some, and I, and of course the clouds are an allegory. I think an allusion to the Sephiroth mentioned in this article. The the clouds. It would seem so because we can't take it literally. How he's going to return. Yeah, because what does it really look like for the return? Like, obviously, it's going to look a lot different than how we see how we see right now. Yeah, yeah. Code ship code yeah. is log by Omer. Yeah, fifteen, fifteen. That's thirty. Yeah, because Hode, the Gematria of Hode is 15. Yeah, what are we headed towards? The the giving of the Torah, the revealing Mm, mm -hmm. of the Tree of Life. For what do we say every time we put the Torah away in the Aron? It is a tree of life to those who cling to it. Uh, Supporters are praiseworthy. And all its pathways are peace. So Sheb is like when we say Teferit Sheb Gevura, like we use Shin Bet, right? 
yeah. for the Omer Count Bracha because the Gematria of Hod Sheb Hod would then be 317. Which, if you have uh, Shaddai or Memtet, that's 314. And then if you do the Kolel, where you add one for each of the number of letters, you have three letters in Shaddai, which would be 317. That's just interesting, man. Like, okay. <laughs> yeah, I think I've read that article at least. I think that's the fifth time I've gone through it. All right. Only, uh, what, to get to 101? How many more times is that? Like 96 more times ago? <laughs> <laughs> or how many times has a Jew uh, blessed God in a single day? Right, get you some. <laughs> wow, Don't thanks for bringing that up, that. man. Because I mean, I've been loving the whole fact of getting things more lined out. Because this year, learning Yeshua didn't resurrect on first fruits because that would have been awkward because it wasn't Shavuot when he resurrected, <laughs> you know. Shavuot's called first fruits, yeah. So. yeah. I think I remember you guys were uh, talking about that in the group. Yeah, uh, for a while there, trying to get some answers, but um, Hashem had me go to that. I know that now. Yeah. Hey, man, I'm I'm fired up. <laughs> oh, I am too. Because look what this speaks of: redemption. Yeah. That's why we do bonfires. That's why we do it together. That's why it talks about the whole fact of with the return of the Mashiach, there are pillars of fire. The redemption, when we're traveling back to Jerusalem, we're going to be traveling through pillars of fire. And how did he, how did Hashem descend on Sinai? Yeah. Pillar of fire. Fire. The thick black cloud. The shofar. The, the call Hashem yep there's no day like it and there never will be you know, some, I mean resurrection is a big deal yes and I agree with that however mm-hmm. it is not the giving of the Torah and it's not anywhere near that level of revelation Right. There's only one thing that is likened to the giving of the Torah. That is the day of rain. But notice with the resurrection, it doesn't come from rain. It comes from dew. Which dew compared to rain is what? The mist that rises from the ground. Oh, what the Ari says about that is. So basically what you just said, like the resurrection, I mean, it's, that's a big deal. 
but the giving of the Torah. Like, that's that's up there. Well, yeah, Hashem caused the mist to come up from the ground so that he can form men with the two yods. Yod, hand. He fashioned men with care. So resurrection is not like it's not this high and lofty thing that is like impossible with Hashem. Cause you know, I think about uh, Eliezer or Lazarus and his Greek name when he shows up to Miriam and Martha, I think John 11, man, my tablet just pooped out. I was going to keep reading the Sanhedrin 98, but anyway, um, he shows up and he's just like, he's just sleeping. It's okay. You know, we read last rumination from the the legend of the Jews that the dead were resurrected to come to Mount Sinai to hear the giving of the Torah. You know, like the whole fact of understanding, you know, death and life and how that is all found in the Torah, like that which is dead being brought to life, that that's basics in Torah. This is why in Hebrews it says this is the elementary things. Resurrection of the dead, healing the sick, all that kind of stuff. Why are you still on the elementary things and why haven't you moved on? Yeah, that's due compared to rain. <laughs> yeah. Dude, you're drinking it tonight. Resurrection is one of the core tenets of Judaism. It's not really anything new. Mm-mm-mm. And that is one of the sounds of the shofar. Takiya. Sound the great shofar for our freedom. To bring in From the death. exiles. <laughs> yeah. To life. Uh, you know, this. You know, you start to weave this tapestry and you really start to begin to see how you know, the mind of Hashem, you know, kind of according a past rumination, you know, if he called, would you know his voice? Mm. Come on. He touched on it on this, he touched on it on this one too. Mashiach is calling. If, but today you would hear. Right. There's a beautiful footnote on that. I had it pulled up for my tablet pooped out, but I was just going to say on that about what does it mean to hear his voice? That That is the obedience. Like if you're obedient to Hashem's Torah, to the mitzvot, you're hearing his voice, which it sounds simple, but the implication is through obedience, we bring the redemption. Like, we haven't seen Mashiach because who's been focusing on the commandments? <laughs> you know? So, the whole understanding of today as the Talmud Sanhedrin 98b or, yeah, Sanhedrin 98a Slika, brings down that when you are today hearing his voice, it doesn't literally mean today. It just means uh, as soon as possible, like the earliest opportunity. 
I was going to see if I can read that verbatim because it literally has a footnote on it. Uh, footnote 60, what is it? 64? Yeah, 64 and 65. Uh, trying to see if it'll pull up here. Here it is. Sleek, huh? Still learning how to use this thing. Okay. The redemption will come before it's fixed time if people heed, heed God's voice, i.e. if they repent and for, perform virtuous deeds. So again, to hear God's voice is to repent and perform virtuous deeds. So Again, turning away from our sins, but also it's not just turning away, but doing good things like doing the mitzvot. Um, Eliyahu will appear. And then it says, in the view of this difficulty, Maharsha concludes when the Messiah said today, he did not mean it literally. Rather, he meant the earliest possible opportunity. However, if this is so, why did the Messiah prepare himself? to come redeem the Jews just at a moment's notice. Some commentators resolve both of these difficulties by asserting Eliyahu will precede the Mashiach only. So whether or not Eliyahu will come before Mashiach is even up for debate. Because it says that'll only happen if the redemption occurs at its preordained time. In the event of an early redemption, they will arrive together. What in the world? Because who was born together in the first century? Eliyahu and Yeshua? Because Yochanan, right? They were just months apart. <laughs> then it says, in the event of an early redemption, they will arrive together. The reference here is to an early redemption is evident from the Mashiach's remark that he will come today. And that's the footnote to Sanhedrin 98A. Mm. They're going to come at the same time if it's early. <laughs> it sounds like the sages are talking about the level of merit that we acquire. So that meant Moshe and Aharon, when they showed up, that was like Eliyahu and Mashiach arriving in the same day. The redemption came early because we got out of Mitzrayim early. We're supposed to be there for 430 years. Oh, yeah. he uh, The Fei Tang has another one about Pesach and the ratification of Moshe's speech. Wow. Because it was at the giving of the Torah that Moshe's speech impediment was rectified. You're going to be in timeout. You keep this up. <laughs> uh, well, we're at the two-hour mark just about here. And I think we'll find a good note to end on. <laughs> okay. Well, we should at least finish the rumination. There's not much left. I, I just finished the whole thing. We finished it? Yes.
oh, well, we've just been playing around. It's just like, oh, the game's over. All right, let's just go. It's go just because all this, the all these other things just tied in so nicely. Ruka Shell. This was nice, man. This was like, mm. okay. But yeah. Um, Hear the voice of Hashem. Obey him. And Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You know, it means walking in his way. It means, you know, man struggles against the infinite. He tries to come up with his own thing, but it just falls flat on its face. You know, we always have to be reminded of Rashi's comment on Genesis 1.1. It is the beginning of his way. All right. All right. Rukashim. Well, thank you uh, for man. tuning in to Ruminations for Parsha Tazria Metzora. We will do our closing bracha and we will say Shavuoto. Barukata Adonai, Eloheinu Melekaolam, Asher Natan Lanu Torat Emet. Vekaye Olam Nata Betokenu Baruch Ata Adonai Notain Hatora Amen. <laughs>